Oh, yeah. Who is up before the holiday? It is <laughs> us, the three lawyer crew. <laughs> yeah, who would have ever thought, right? We're here. Office hours, I don't even know what number it is, but I'll tell you what's going to be happening in about, what is it, a week and two days? Just over, right? yeah. Yeah. Just over a week and two or three days. Well, oh, yeah. Right. About you guys will be coming in in about a week. Um, it's a uh, office hours. The TV show is filming and it is locked and loaded with all types of special guests, not as special as YouTube, uh, <laughs> but special guests. And, um, you know, I thought we'd get a little bit of warm up here. And it's Fourth of July weekend. And people, freedom is an energy uh, itself. And, uh, I know that I've lived my life at times with everything I ever dreamed of, except for I didn't feel free. And I've also lived my life with very little and felt very free. So I thought maybe I'd kind of circle back. So I'll be doing some coaching at the end of this session today with, you know, my boys, Kevin and Alan, Mikey, uh, what does freedom mean to you? Yeah, I love the question, Dave. I've always, I think it's perfectly timed. It's, you know, when we talk about independence, yeah, independence, <laughs> freedom, you know, the ability, look, you know, people, people gauge their success by how much money they have in the bank or what car they drive or what kind of a watch they wear. I guess you could factor that into it, right? We've all considered that as part of it, but the real gauge and the real barometer for freedom is, is what can you do with your time? It's not money. That's the most precious asset. It's not oil. It's not data. It's your time. We have a finite amount of it. We really, most of us don't know how much we have. And so what can you do with that time? Are you able to pursue the consistent, persistent pursuit of your happiness? Are you working with people that you love? Are you doing things that you love? If you are, and that's a true sense of freedom and independence and, and the, the greatest way to exist on this planet. That's awesome. David, welcome back, Carter. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I've missed you guys over the last two weeks. Um, it's hard to go after Mike as always, uh, especially with that answer. I agree uh, uh, wholeheartedly with a lot of what he said. The only thing I'll add is, is freedom to me would also entail being able to make any decision uh, without fear of consequences. And I think uh, with the time thing, that's a huge one, obviously. When, you, when you, you're actually free, you know, you talk about financially free, uh, that you can do things with your family. You don't have to worry about stealing time from one place to give it somewhere else. Um, if you if you're free mentally um, and emotionally, you you can make decisions without fear of how you will be perceived. You have the confidence to be yourself. So freedom, uh, you know, it has many many definitions, but um, the root of the word free is 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 obviously in a definition. Yeah, I think free could be you know a healing power of fear, and you know obviously be. Free from fear is an extraordinary freedom. Yeah, uh, free from economic stress or other things are extraordinary. For, for me, one of the key contributors to freedom in my defini definition of freedom is not only to have the option to do whatever you want. So money would play a role in that. But you know, one of the most dangerous things about when I was CEO of Lee Steinberg, and I think still a danger in my life right now that I'm aware of is it's one thing to have enough money to do whatever you want, but to have the access yeah. that to do things that money doesn't buy as well. And, you know, I've been blessed with that for years and years and years. And I think I didn't appreciate it. I mean, add value to it when I was younger, 
mm-hmm. uh, and it cost me, you know, 16 years ago, uh, it cost me, but I really have a good handle on that. So I think, you know, the freedom to do things, say, believe whatever we want, you know, is, is, and have the option to do whatever we want. But there's another thing, you know, the ability to learn to love everything. Now, that's not just love what you do, right? To learn to love what you do. See, where most people miss out is there's love in everything, right? They're loving Mikey, they're loving David, they're loving me. And yet some people are incapable of taking the time to learn to love me or taking the time to learn to love Marino or Mamola. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're wrong in any way, but they haven't taken the time. And, you know, we only have so much time, but if we have the freedom to learn to love whatever it is and find that love and seek that love and learn the lessons in it. And to me, when we have that awareness that there's love in everything and I have the freedom to find that love, that's to me uh, freedom and it, it will change everybody. Uh, I, I love the, the fear one though, because I have a big campaign going, right? Turn your foes to Joe's. Fear, fear of missing out to joy of missing out. In fact, that was joy, joy, exactly. The joy, joy of, I know it's Jomo, but uh, Jomo. Yeah, that was a, a Rob Angel, uh, Mikey's good friend and my good friend. Uh, the, he, uh, he had the worst FOMO ever created and he turned it into <laughs> Jomo. And Jomo. Uh, I also like uh, Jopo, which is the joy of other people's opinion. So that, you know, uh, that's David's, uh, one there right we uh don't like people laughing at us scoffing at us making fun of us because we're in the band uh yeah <laughs> eventually, eventually they'll applaud us when we step on the field uh anyway Dave, I, I just wanted to if i could i wanted to elaborate on what you said for a second because it's you know it's so important i didn't know why i picked this mug this morning you know partially because i was going to see you guys and wanted to send you a subliminal message and, and to the people that are watching and listening but I make it a point to drink drink my my mushroom coffee out of this at least <laughs> once a, once a week because I have to tell myself that I love you right because I have this one of my character flaws is I give too much and and in terms of time and energy and emotion I give too much and sometimes that hurts myself so we like you say Dave we can only give what we have we have to give ourselves we need self love we have to remind ourselves that we're important so that we have enough internal fortitude internal strength spiritually mentally physically emotionally financially to give to others. So now I know I chose the mug this morning. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, that reminds me of a, of a great story. So I, I get this mug, of course, from Julie, who is my wife, for those people that don't know. And it says, I love my wife. Yeah. And, and Julie, Julie and I, uh, you know, been blessed over the last 10 years. I joke around. I said, we've probably been in three serious arguments in the last 10 years. And we had three arguments a day the first 10 years. Um, and I'd rather be in these last 10 years than the first 10 years with David Meltzer myself. So I don't blame her. I take accountability. So she buys me this mug and, you know, we get into it early, you know, something about the kids or whatever. And I'm so fluff, flustered. I, I take, you know, out the mug and I drop it and it breaks. So when she wakes up, she sees the broken I I love my wife mug. And oh. of course she thinks I did it intentionally. She's still, <laughs> I tell you, man, the universe is amazing, right? There are no coincidences. Yeah. I, oh my God. I bought like three 
you know, I think like at Marshall's or something, I was passing by. They have three different types. I love my wife mugs. I put one in the cupboard and hid two just in case. Uh, <laughs> oh, my god! Anyway, let's bring on Daniel McQuaid. Uh, Daniel, good morning. Good morning. And how are you this morning? We are amazing. Look at you got my message about the striped shirt. You're looking good. You know, I thought it was striped shirt Friday. Apparently, I, I got the email and we got the text and <laughs> TikTok and I saw it everywhere. But Hi, David, I don't know. Good morning. Yeah, <laughs> they, you know, they get a pass. These guys have been crazy. So um, I love, you know, as founder and CEO of McQuaid Marketing and no seafood with a K-N, not an N-O. No seafood. Do you know seafood? I just gave a great joke about it. I was eating a, a, a energy bar and <laughs> I told him, hey, I'm on a seafood diet and I got to <laughs> see the food. Um, anyway, give us a little bit of background on no seafood. It's noseafood.com. And uh, I know you have a question for uh, the dynamic super duper freedom trio here. I do. Well, uh, thank you for having me, uh, David and crew. Uh, no Seafood uh, started actually as a mission about three and a half years ago when there was an outbreak of E. coli with romaine lettuce. And I know it's a little bit of a journey, but what happened was how could that happen in the United States? How could people die, get sick? How did we not know where in the supply chain this came from? Bothered me as you know, a parent, you know, and somebody in the food industry in my entire life. When I began to look at it, uh, David, I found that IBM was working with Walmart on a blockchain program called Food Trust, where they could identify within hours, days, not months. They still don't know where it came from, a wet farm. And I was like, this is pretty cool. What's this tool? So I got into it a little bit and tried to understand the technology of the tool. And then I looked at, man, we could use this in the seafood industry because we have a main problem with fraud, additives, because 90% of the seafood we consume in the United States comes from overseas, comes from outside the country. And there's such a disconnect between the harvester and you having it for lunch. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually use IO2, use data, use information, upload it to this chain and bring it all to the consumer so they could trust seafood and eat seafood more often because we know they want to do it, right? So we only eat about 16 pounds of seafood per year per capita woefully under the USDA minimum. Kids, even worse. So I said, could we could we take care of this? Could we actually do it? So we got together with IBM, we did it. And we tested it in the restaurant industry. And people loved where their seafood were coming. Before they got it, they could scan a code on a menu, and see the entire journey. And the beautiful thing about blockchain, it's immutable. So we were sharing the data. So David, you're the harvester. You put down, hey, I caught it this day on this boat, in this location, this many pounds, boom. You put it in this glass box and it's locked, but you shared it and you brought it over to me. And then I look at it and I go, okay, I received it from David on this day. I packed it, I cut it and I shipped it on this day. And I shipped it to Mike, who's the distributor. And Mike says, okay, I'm putting my information on top. And he sent it to David's restaurant. And then David shared that information with theirs. Well, sales went up. We're doing really well. And then COVID. Okay, sorry, David, but you hit the brakes. Didn't hit the brakes. You went through the windshield and your restaurant closed. So I said, okay, is this the perfect time to bring this to the consumer? And so what we decided to do, because people were adapting and acculturating to ordering perishables, groceries direct to their homes. So we didn't have to have that cost of that customer acquisition. COVID was actually doing that for us. So my partner, Paul, and I, we decided, okay, we know the best people in the world. Could we have them cut, harvest within hours of being landed, freeze it at minus 40 degrees Celsius within hours, ship it to us, and we ship it to you? 
So we cut out all the middlemen and everything we have is truly sustainable. It's all natural. It, it, it's going to be phenomenal because we know how fast it was harvested. And so we began with that idea. Um, before we even started, we did a pre-revenue round. We got people to believe in us. But one of the things, David, that we did, we didn't take any money from the seafood industry. None. Even wow. though they wanted it, would have been easier. Yeah. But we said, you know what? Our, we need to be loyal to our community, to our customer. They drive everything. They drive our innovation. They drive our marketing. They drive our new products. And so that was our go-to-market strategy. And that's how it began. Love it. And you have a question for uh, the three of us? I do. Um, you know, when we look at technology today and paying, playing into how uh, consumers are using that, are they really using it? You know, is this really important to them? You know, we can assume that it is. But in your mind, does this allow for, a, a, you know, a trusted transaction? You know, how much information today is consumers requiring in order to make a purchase decision? You know, nice. that was the big question. Daibad, you got this first? Yeah, uh, I'll go. I think a lot of that depends on, on the demographic. I, I for one, uh, get made fun of by my wife a lot because I have an app for everything. She's like, for example, if we want to get DoorDash, I'm going to the app instead of to the website. Um, just because I, I like to be informed and there's a lot more information I find on the app than on the website. A lot of um, rebates and discounts and that sort of thing. I like to know what's going on, but you know, I'll answer, get, get to your answer, but I'm actually thinking about the no seafood process and, and Mike and Dave probably their mind went the same place when we were talking about the journey of the seafood. It, it's literally like chain of custody of evidence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. That's exactly what I was, I was thinking about. Right. I, was, I was thinking of the application uh, of technology into, into the, the field of criminal justice and, and those sorts of things, because that, that becomes one of the most critical uh, missteps of, of law enforcement in preserving and maintaining evidence is uh, there's also oftentimes a disruption in the chain of custody. And, and I think that application uh, could be used across the board. Um, and I'll digress back into, into your other point. Um, I think technology is an amazing tool. And I think if anything, uh, this post-COVID world, this, this pre-COVID world and during COVID world have taught us is that with technology, we can accomplish a lot of things and that the world is a lot closer than it has ever been. Um, so I think we're, we're moving into uh, accelerated uh, tech boom. And I think Mike and Dave would prob probably agree with this, but, you know, post COVID, you know, we're, we're handling meetings that we're speaking to folks across the world at, in different time zones and, you know, able to send them data at speeds that we never have before. So I think that the short answer to your question is yes, technology will play a bigger role in, in, in it, it is happening now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Good morning, Daniel. And, and I think the short answer, and then I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit, hopefully not to make it too long, but the short answer is yes. Uh, people are using technology. It's super exciting. Uh, some people are slower on the uptake than others, and that's okay. And you think the people that are leading the pack, we have to grab them and bring them along. Some people, you know, they're not using cryptocurrency yet. They're not familiar with the blockchain yet. They're getting there, though. But we're starting to see it more and more in all industries. I love what you're up to with No Seafood. I think that it's a perfect example of what technology brings to every industry, which is reliability and credibility, which is important no matter what you're doing. So if I if I want to buy scallops, I know that I'm buying scallops from your company. I'm not, you know there there are stories of 
commercial fishermen who go out and they they punch holes in the wings of the manta rays and then send them back into the ocean and sell those punch outs as scallops. They're not really scallops. I know through no seafood that I'm getting because of the blockchain, because of the, like Dave said, the chain of custody. Scallops is a great thing because that was the first item that we did. Yeah. We were able to take technology 200 miles offshore and upload it to a blockchain ledger. Right. Makes perfect sense. Never I love that. I would use that. Yeah, yeah. Same with, am I getting a, a, an Alaskan wild caught salmon versus somebody who just put a little red dye into a farm? I raise that salmon salmon. Being caught in Alaska, being shipped to China to be processed and being That's brought my back into this. So again, chain of custody, country of origin. David, so, your point, right? Yep. So you I know, think right? that applies to everything. So yes, absolutely. Super exciting. We're seeing it with esports now. Esports in many ways starting to eclipse traditional sports. You know, it's taking over. So yes, super exciting. Very excited for you, technology, and all of the industries it affects. Sure. Real, real quick, um, you know, technology not only is impacting those people who want to use it, it's impacting those people that don't know they're using it. Yep. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I've learned, right, is if uh, if you're not paying for it, you're the customer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're the product. Sorry, product. right? If you're if you're not paying for it, you're you're the product. Uh, meaning that they want your data, uh, and you may not know it. And you know, eighty seven percent of the people that are young know it. Uh, and now you'll see through blockchain that people are monetizing that, um, and you know there'll be a shared economy of your data, right? So your IP will not only be your credibility, your following, and the impact that you have. But your your own IP will be your data, and you'll be required. You'll see uh, through blockchain that no matter whether you know it or not, you'll be receiving annuity checks uh, from Google, for example, uh, every time that they pass on uh, your data. Um, mm-hmm. So the other area of technology that's so important is that no matter wh- what we use. See, I believe the universe is a technology, uh, and we're moving back towards understanding that meaning through the access to data, we're starting to understand that the universe already gave us access to all the data, that everything already exists. And we're starting to figure that out. That that was the beauty of what we did, is that this data was sitting there, whether it was the scallops that are a regulated fishery that the government says is only pounds, you only can go somewhere, or it's a mahi-mahi fishery off of Peru that's a managed fishery. Right. And then they only have so many pounds that can come out of a certain many ages at certain many times. And this is this data is sitting there, you know, and how could we use this in a way that we could actually have people eat and enjoy healthy seafood more often? Yeah. It allows you to trust and vet. Right. I wish trust. I could do it with people. It allows you to trust and vet because it has all the data there in order to trust what you're eating and vet it out to know exactly you know, <laughs> where. We had so many, we had some suppliers that said, oh, you can't tell a consumer that. You can't. I said, you know what? You're the problem. You're yeah, the opportunity man. for us to start new seafood. It's because you've been lying for your whole career. I said, you know, the industry has a problem. So I don't need the industry. I need the consumer. Yeah. It's just like, you know, uh, some officials that say, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, because you're going to be found out. I get exactly. it. Right? I, I understand. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. We well, know. What you're doing is the future. NoSeafood.com. Check it out. Know where and when and how your seafood has arrived on your dish. Uh, you know, I do. I can't guarantee your wife's not spitting on it when she's cooking it. But <laughs> besides that, it's still pretty good. 
All right, nice meeting you all. Have a great weekend. Take care. Nice Have a nice your wife. Thanks, week. guys. <laughs> all right, man. Andy Wyatt is here. He is the author and founder of Andy Wyatt, Wyatt Leadership. And I was talking about credibility, knowing your following and uh, leading with your impact earlier. Uh, and part of the reason was there was a new book released by Andy himself uh, in Hello. February of this year. Pro leadership, uh, my definition of leadership is an intelligent follower, which is aligned with your own subtitle. But Andy, welcome. We can hear you, my friend. Um, welcome here. I'd like you to give just a little bit of a background on the Andy Wyatt leadership, and then I know you have a question for the three of us. Oh, maybe you can't hear us. I can All hear right. you now. Sorry. Oh, cool. Sorry. <laughs> I gave David. you a great introduction. You're fine. Just give us a little that, bit of background. You know what? I was I was reading your lips, and I'm like, why can't I hear him? Good morning. <laughs> Technology is wonderful. Thank God our cars don't work like uh, our technology. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, give us a little bit of background. I know you have a question for Dave, Mike, and I. Um, it's great to be here today. I just um, I just am working on the rollout of my new book, Pro Leadership. And very excited about that. And um, really, really uh, coaching and on the post-pandemic reboot. And it's time to get back in the game. Yep, for yeah. sure. And yeah. you have a question. You have a question for us. I, you know, I don't have a question for you. Oh, good. I, I, well, I, just, have have be, I just have to be honest with you. Yeah, that's I was, good. No, I. I was asked to be on your. I was asked to be on here, and I was. Well, we that, love having you. Let, let me ask you a question. All. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, 2020 to me was a year of reflection. 2021 yeah. is a, a year of decision. Uh, uh, leaders make decisions. You've written this book, Leading with Impact. Uh, how does decision-making fall within the context of, you know, leading with impact and pro-leadership? Well, thank, what a... What a great, what a great question. I love it. And um, I think we have to make decisions at the speed of business. I mean, my dad always raised me. He said, um, leaders make decisions. Sometimes they make the right decision. Sometimes they make the wrong decision. Uh, but they do make a decision. And, um, you know, it's time to, it's time to really get out and, um, reassess things. And I think we've had a, a lot of time after fasting from human contact for 16 months. Um, what I've, what I've seen is, I mean, here are the, here are the questions I'm getting from my coaching clients. How do I reenter and lead effectively? I don't want, I don't want to live the way I lived pre pandemic, but how do I do that? I feel like my relational bank account uh, has been emptied. How do I replenish that? Where do I start? I need help. I'm tired of being alone. But yet I want to lead effectively. I want to lead with impact. And I always say in order to do that, in order to answer these questions, you need to um, excavate before you elevate. So you need to go back to the basics, look yourself in the mirror, and you need to to just answer the questions. I would say to be a pro leader, 
you got to do three things. You got to become whole. You got to live inside out and you have to be yourself. And that means if, if you're on a podcast with a famous uh, guy like David Messler and he says, do you have a question for me? And I, I don't have one. I have to admit to you. I, I don't, I didn't even, I was invited on here. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Um, but I always say in, the most important battle that any leader is going to fight is becoming whole, living inside out, and being yourself. And it all starts, I've got a good friend, Johnny Parker, who says you got to take care of the backstage before you go out to the front stage. Yeah, you can't, can't find inside of, outside of yourself what you can't find the inside. Yeah, that's right. And so, so it requires that we fulfill three desires as a leader, three personal desires, the desire to be accepted, the desire to be secure, and the desire to be significant. And that requires us to add, ask, answer three questions that everybody we lead will ask us. And those are, do you care about me? Can you help me? And can I trust you? And in order to accomplish those first two, you need to Take three steps, in my opinion, and that's establish credibility, then build your following, and then lead with impact. But we're all, I think we're all in a stage as leaders right now coming out of COVID where we have to reestablish our our own credibility, not necessarily for others, but for ourselves. Can I lead in the new normal? What I did before maybe doesn't work anymore, or maybe in my times of reflection, in all my alone time in between my Zoom meetings, I realized that, gee, the way I did things, the way I led, I don't like some of those things. So that's awesome. Well, yeah. we, um, you released the book in February. Um, yeah. it's, let us know where it's available and where they can find you. Well, you can get it everywhere where books are sold. Um, I, I won't mention everybody because I'll leave somebody out, but you can get it everywhere. You can find me on LinkedIn at Andy Wyatt, andrewwyattleadership.com, and um, every everywhere. (laughs) It's Andy Wyatt or Andrew Wyatt? Well, Andrew, I was named Andrew, but my friends call me Andy. So it's Andrew Wyatt Leadership, but but, uh, my friends call me Andy. Yeah, right, I'll call you Andy then. And Andy, thank yeah. you so much. Enjoy thank your you, holiday. What a great book. I thank you so much uh, for thank coming you. on Thanks, so early. Andy. Thank you. Appreciate appreciate it. Have a great day. You thank too. you too. Thank, thank you. you, Andy. Bye-bye. All right. Last but not least, the man, the myth is on here. And Giacomo <laughs> Kise. Kiesi. Say, say it for me, Giacomo. Yeah, of course. I'll say the whole thing. Giacomo Kiesi. Kiesi. Hey, how easy! I should have let Mikey introduce you because he yeah, would have yeah. nailed it. He, well, you would have nailed that, right, Mike? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> well, I got, I, I'm glad I got Giacomo right. Head, head of cheesy. <laughs> I was going to just say cheesy. That would have been good. So cheesy, head of cheesy global rare diseases and cheesy group. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Give us a little bit of background on your group, and uh, hopefully, you have a question for us as well. 
Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thanks for ha having me here today. It's a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, uh, Mike and David, great to meet you all uh, you. today. And, and David, you're a great source of inspiration for us, you know, entrepreneurs um, in, in the world. So thank you so much for, for being there, for existing. Um, so in terms of the background, um, and forgive my accent, right? I, oh, no, I love the accent. <laughs> I'm, obviously, I'm obviously Italian, but um, so Keys is a pharmaceutical company. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you're from South Texas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so we're a pharmaceutical company. Uh, we're a family business. We've been around for 85 years now. Uh, we're originally from Italy, but, you know, we grew considerably as a company. Now we have about 6,000 employees in 25 different countries. Company was founded by by my grandfather, and and what we do is we develop and commercialize therapies for uh, respiratory pulmonary disorders, uh, such as asthma and bronchitis and rare diseases as well. And in the last two years, we launched a new organization to develop therapies for rare diseases, and it's called Chiesi Global Rare Diseases, and I'm leading that. So what we do is we put the patients at the center of everything we do. And our mission is really to make a difference in the lives of patients. And what we want to do is provide them with new innovative therapies that can uh, truly be definitive solutions and integrated solutions to their, uh, to their diseases. We've got uh, a number of offices. The main offices are in Boston, Massachusetts, and also in Parma, Italy. And um, perhaps just a little bit of background on rare diseases, because not everyone might be familiar with it. Um, so a rare disease is typically defined as one that affects less than uh, typically less than one person out of 10,000. So that's how rare we're talking about. So only a few thousand U.S. people uh, will be affected by a certain rare disease at a given point in time. But there are 7,000 rare diseases that we know of, right? And collectively, these rare diseases impact more than 350 million people globally. And, and the diseases are completely unknown because they're so rare. Uh, many times also unknown to the physicians and usually takes patients longer than five years to get to the right diagnosis. And only 5% of these diseases currently have either an approved therapy or an experimental therapy. So there's a huge unmet need. And because we have 350 million people affected, we at this company believe that this is a, an unmet societal need for the entire society. So the question that, that I have for you guys today here is, at Chiesi Global Rare Diseases, we're focused on addressing that unmet medical need for the patients all around the world. But there is very limited awareness of these diseases globally at a societal level. So the question is, how can we bring more attention to rare diseases in general? Mikey, great up. question. Yeah, buongiorno. I call those not buongiorno. I think it's a little later there, but good morning yeah. nonetheless, Giacomo. Uh, it's a great question, you know, and they say with any industry, when, when we're working with things, education is expensive. And so you have to be very aware of that, right? So with things like this, I think you have to do the initial inquiry. Do you take a shotgun approach or do you take a sniper approach? With this, it's like Dave talks about very often. I think one of the most effective ways is to find great ambassadors, people that, that have lived and literally, pardon the pun, breathed what you're trying to solve, what you're trying to cure that can help you establish it. I think using, we just talked about the power of technology, using technology to help educate in a way that's not expensive, incorporating people that have been through this, that have been through, you know, that can come on as your ambassadors to say, hey, Giacomo and his team really helped me through things like Facebook, through things like social media, through things like Clubhouse to go on and create these dialogues where people start to learn about it and then they'll start to circle back to you would be one of the ways I'd initially approach this. Yeah, I think that that's important. Uh, obviously, good ambassadors. Um, 
But also, I just want to start by saying thank you for the work that you do, because I know it impacts uh, so many people's families. And I know you said, you know, one in one in 10,000, but there are over 7,000 uh, rare diseases. Um, if you do quick math, which Dave is the best mathlete of all time, um, that, that will impact a lot more of us than, than we think about. So uh, in addition to having good ambassadors, I would say we've got to connect. Uh, we've got to create an emotional connection to people to want to get involved, to take the, take the issue seriously. And there, there are a number of ways to do that. I think uh, to expand on Mike's point, um, while using the ambassadors, tell their story. All right. Um, folks uh, love to hear and, and going back to, to, to my legal career, you know, telling a story to a jury, create the emotional connection and, and make them realize why this thing that's been insignificant to them and has nothing to do with their life, um, why they can relate to it. And, and, and those are the reasons why people will want to get involved. But uh, I really wanted to say thank you. And I think it's great work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, obviously, you know, incredible people are commenting all over the place about their own specific experience with rare disease. And let me just quickly answer this. One, keep strengthening your signal. The way that we strengthen the signal is to direct it towards, two, knowing our spectrum. So, I, you know, the, of the thousands of rare diseases, each one should have their own specific platform and work individually towards the spectrum of honing in on the people who have been affected by uh, the disease. And so take the most general disease of all, cancer. You know, we didn't raise the bar on cancer. Cancer existed before. Uh, but, you know, once we made it applicable to stand up for cancer and it became so impactful when you said, who here has been impacted by cancer, knows a family, friend, member, you know, whatever, everybody stands up. Now we got a big community. So one, directed towards each individual disease. But I think the, the last one in clarifying the message is it needs aggregation. What will really take it to the next level is not only to strengthen the signal, know the individual spectrum, like you know Dr. Pimple Popper, to use a gross example. She has more subscribers than the entire Pro Football Hall of Fame because she just talks to the people that love and hate popping pimples. Well, with rare diseases, what we can do is aggregate them all create a community called the rare disease community, which then can elevate all of rare diseases and raise money and awareness for all rare diseases, and then allow each individual platform to build their brand underneath the category of rare disease. And now it can be a movement like stand up for cancer. Uh, I, you know, very, uh, obviously I think almost everyone's been impacted by rare disease we just don't talk about it in the aggregate. So when you talk about a very specific one, it excludes everybody. So uh, I really appreciate, Giacomo, all of the work that you're doing. Uh, where can people find you uh, and you want them to reach out to help this movement uh, build its awareness? Well, thank you so very much, guys. It's, you know, great suggestions. The ambassadors telling the story and building the community and, you know, strengthening the signals. They're all very good suggestions that we're certainly going to implement. Also, because we haven't done some of the things you guys have mentioned. So thank you so much for supporting us. And thanks again for the opportunity. Ci vediamo. Ti amo. Chazzy.com. Take it out. Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Bye -bye. All right, boys, take away for the day. And then I'll be jumping on with my boys from the Next Level University. The two guys that come most prepared, the exemplary coaching clients that exist in the world. People talk about them all the time to me going, hey, they'll say, you know, how's this going to work? I said, watch the episodes of the playbook that are with Alan and Kevin, uh, and you'll find out how to be a coaching client, not just how I coach. 
Uh, but anyway, what's your takeaway for the day, David Marino? Yeah, for me, uh, my, my takeaway is a, is a personal one and one I want to share with everyone here. And it's a lesson and one of the lessons you gave me some years ago um, as a friend and as a coaching client that, you know, your health comes first and take care of yourself. Um, you know, recently lost my father-in-law last Friday. It's been seven days. And I just want to take this platform in this moment uh, to tell everyone that you have to prioritize your health. Uh, that is the most important asset you have. Um, for the folks that are around you and that love you, you know, please, awareness and education is key. Make sure you go to all your medical appointments, you stay on top of it, and you are as ritualistic uh, and r- routine about your health as you are about your children, as you are about your education, as you are about your job. Um, I can't stress that enough, and I'm sorry to get um, a little grim here, but you know, I want everybody here to be here for a long time and for us to be a, have a positive, helpful, healthy, and loving society. Beautiful. Yeah. We, we pray for your family. Thank you. Yeah. And for me, Dave, it's, and I can elaborate on what, what David Moreno just said, health, obviously incredibly important. It's embrace the concept of something called Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. I was just teaching Jakey Bakey about this, or not teaching, but having a conversation with him. And, and what that is, the Japanese concept where if something's broken, they don't throw it away. They put it back together. They'll solder a vase back together. And you reminded me of it, Dave, when you talked about the broken mug. Um, they put it back together and, and we can do that with ourselves. We can do that with our businesses. We can do that with our lives, with our health. It's never too late to, to start again and talk about technology, being able to do this with our businesses, put it back together. And then you see where the breaks were and where it's been put back together. And that creates the uniqueness, the individuality in all of us that we embrace to make ourselves stronger, to go forward as who we are, you know, as people or a company, society and species. So that's yeah. Uh, those scars are a remembrance or reminder and a recollection of what we've learned that that's all a scar is. And uh, yeah. to the matter that David spoke to, right? You're healthy. You get as many wishes in a day that you want. You're unhealthy. You only get one wish. Uh, and we've all experienced that one wish for and through ourselves and others. Uh, my takeaway for the day uh, is aligned with both of yours. Um, and it's <laughs> ironically the most exciting, <clears throat> excuse me, the most exciting guest that we had. <laughs> Ask to excavate before you elevate. <clears throat> that says it all. Excavate before you elevate. You've got to look within. Health-wise, family-wise, activity you get paid for-wise, excavate before you elevate. That's my takeaway for the day. Let's all enjoy our freedom, the options to do what we want. In other words, to learn, to love everyone and everything, to remind, recollect, and remember that means we're all one so let's all take care of one another be kind to your future self do good deeds with my boys mike momola dave marino i'm gonna see you in about a week i am so excited i can't stand it we are taking office hours with david Meltzer to the television waves and the (laughs) internet again on amazon so please everyone join us give these guys a round of applause thanks for joining me i will talk to you too soon thanks Thank you. Bye, guys. See you on Clubhouse, by the way, 6 a.m. Pacific time. Join me today on Clubhouse at 6 a.m. with David Marino and Mike Mamula. All right. It is time to bring on Alan Lazarus and Kevin Palmieri. See, I got that Lazarus finally done completely. (laughs) Uh, How'd you like that, Big Al? Anyway, let's show these people how a coaching session is supposed to be. Uh, We'll get started. Let's make it happen. 
Boom. So Dave, something you hear often is I feel momentum. That's something I've said many times. I don't think I understand what momentum actually is. So from a mathematical perspective, what is momentum and what does it actually mean? And how do you know you have it? So momentum is the compounding in the short term of energy. It is the acceleration in exponential growth of energy in one place in the short term, right? And we can see that most in sports. I know you guys are familiar uh, with a sport called American football. And one of the things that we love and why football is the most popular sport, especially with women two to one, is that it exemplifies momentum. Uh, tennis is another one, right? It exemplifies momentum. You can see in the short term, basketball, you can see runs, right? M momentum shifting. And you can feel what? The energy changing. You can actually feel the aggregation, the compounding, the acceleration, the exponentiality of energy building in one specific area for a short period of time. And this is where it's so important to understand energy itself and the stop, drop, and roll methodology because you can get too excited, right? And too much energy puts you off balance, which is why the momentum shifts sometimes big time and why you see big leads turn into losses where if it was still at center at neutral, building at a slower pace that our pragmatic cellular structure can handle is and can be much more uh, secure and stable than the big momentum shifts that people uh, uh, experience in their lives and their games in everything. When it shifts, Dave, is that like, is it an ego thing of you get too confident in something? Like what is moving off center when it comes to momentum? So with momentum, right? You, you, um, <laughs> as you, it, it, a pendulum, uh, if you swing this way, it, it, what has to swing back mm. to the equal length. So what we want to do is allow that energy to come through us and stay as neutral as possible at our higher you know, frequency, that plateau that we, you know, regulate each day to inch by inch, get better and better. Uh, so the ego absolutely is the reason that we get too far over one way or another. And we get too excited about where we are, just the same as we get too anxious or depressed about where we are. Remember, it's all about the law of of, of, of uh, gravity, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at the right place at the perfect time. Then it's the law of Goya. If we go too far off center, the law of Goya is not as efficient, effective, and statistically successful. So if we allow all that energy to fool us, right, to create a need to be separate, superior, well, it's going to swing back and we're going to have a need to be inferior. And, you know, as, as much as there's a false facade of success then we something turns, we all of a sudden have a false facade of failure. And that's why people have anxiety, fear, depression, separation of all these things when they have momentum. How many times in your guys' life, and I know because you're younger, you know, you, you get all these big wins and you're like, oh, it's not going to last, mm. right? No, if you stayed within center, it's not that it's lasting. It's how do I build upon where I am? When you have these huge wins, you know, it's like lottery tickets. People, some 90-some percent of the people that win the lottery lose all, all of it. 
I, I've experienced, right? I've won the lottery in life and lost all of it because I allowed that pendulum to swing too far and it's swing back the other way. Now, my pendulum, hopefully, my pendulum goes like this, right? Just every day, swing, 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 swings. And eventually, it gets out here, but but it's at, you know, perpendicular. It's not out here completely swung. You, you see the difference? I've actually, that's the center point way out there. It's not the axis point. And do you think that center point is more of your character of who you've become? You know, in the long term, right? So why do you believe that most lottery winners lose all the money? Can you take us through why that is from the frame of momentum? Well, yeah, I think in the frame of momentum is that they get very excited about a windfall. And instead of stopping, dropping, and rolling, taking inventory that excavate to elevate, right? They they get so excited, they lose the fact that it's not their center point, that it's an access point. And that their objective should be to make it their center point. Instead, they allow it to remain an access point, which swings the pendulum back the other way by buying things they don't need to impress people they don't like, to fulfill the ego itself in some sort of separation of inferiority or superiority. They don't seek help of people who have that center point already. See, when we talk about having mentorship or knowing your what, Knowing your who is finding people whose center point is already where you want your pendulum to be swinging. Right. right. So you choose a mentor who sits in the seat that you want to be in. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, you nailed it. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is about momentum is I learned about the law of diminishing returns a long time ago. How does that apply to consistency and momentum? Yeah. So explain to me what you know about the law of diminishing returns so other people will know as well. So the same workout, so you can work out every day for an hour, but an hour and a half is going to be, that extra half hour isn't going to be as effective as the first half an hour, basically. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. And so the question would be again, say it again. Um, so what? how does the law of diminishing returns have to do with everything we've already talked about regarding momentum? And how do we make sure that we're optimizing for that. Yeah. So when we're overdoing it, because that's the idea of diminishing returns, right? That we've gone, we're, we're swinging the pendulum the other way, right? And so it swings back to the diminished return. So oh. when we overdo it, it's going to swing back and give us less of a return than if we're just gradually growing and moving the act, right? The idea is to move the center point, not the access point. Because if our center moves, and it's another, what I use as an example and to illustrate this is uh, the comfort zone, the learning zone, and the anxiety zone, right? You get diminishing returns when you're in the anxiety zone. So when you physically exert yourself too much, it's in the anxiety zone. It's in the physical anxiety zone, right? So, So what happens? So if we stay in the learning zone, everything grows steadily. If we go out to the anxiety zone, the law of diminishing return applies everything closes in, right? You get less of a learning zone, less of a comfort zone. I mean, I've seen highly functioning, high actualizing people who live their life outside into that too much area of anxiety and they end up not being able to get out of bed, right? They end up in rehab. They end up all types of places because they did not keep their access point in the learning zone, they allowed the pendulum to swing outside into the anxiety zone. Dave, 
Alan and I have been learning a ton about patterns that have kind of been running our lives without us knowing. What was the most impactful pattern that you learned was running you? And what did you do to stop that pattern or shift that pattern or change it? Yeah, I think, you know, the pattern was to please other people, right? To, to want to be loved by everyone. Um, and, and it was running my life. I, I wanted what other people wanted more than what I wanted for myself. And uh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Uh, I had learned to excavate before I elevated to learn what I wanted so I could give what I had to others. And those who wanted what I had to give, that was fine. But if I had something that I didn't, I mean, someone wanted something I did have or I couldn't give, I would try to find it and spend my time, energy, emotion, and relationships pursuing what other people wanted. Was there ever a time we've heard that quote of my talent took me to a place that my character couldn't sustain? Was there ever a time in your life where you feel like your external results exceeded your character and or your vibration? And what did you do to about that? Yeah, I think in the realm of real estate investment um, that my talent took me far beyond uh, where my character, my quantum being could could withstand, right? Like the enormity of at a young age, having so much wealth and so much land, you know, golf course, ski mountain houses, uh, I was way over my skis and I didn't ask for help. See, you know, my pendulum had swung. And if I could have found someone that had an access point of knowing what it was like to accumulate over a hundred million dollars in real estate or, you know, someone that could help me. But instead I was fooling myself because in my mind I had made it there and had never had any setbacks uh, with real estate. I've never had any setbacks in business uh, that I would acknowledge. <laughs> and so I ended up way, you know, way beyond my skis. And do you believe that's why humility is so important as you climb in life? Because it it reminds you to make sure that your character is coming with you? Right. It, it reminds you that you don't know what you don't know. You know, one of the fun practices that I have, I'm not sure that we've ever even talked about this, Alan and Kevin, uh, that I suggest everyone does. This is a Meltzer nugget for you, you know, a new one. Um, I ask myself all the time, what would be the one thing that would happen that would shift the entire paradigm of what I believe in this? Right? Like, you know, I, I whenever I feel sure of something, you know, like, oh, I tell people my beach house is the best investment I've ever made. Okay, what happens if, you know, cancel? Uh, there's a tsunami and it wipes out six blocks of the beach. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, I, like one little thing could change. Or, you know, what if gravity is a temporary circumstance created by something else? Uh, you know, I, I'll ask myself like these, because then it creates the humility of, let's be honest, rule number six is what I should be applying here. Right. And everybody remember rule number six is don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> so when you're sure about something, just the minute you think about one thing that could change what you're sure about, then you start realizing, I don't know what I don't know. So what am I going to do? I am going to enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my own truth, my own potential. And when I do that, I'll be happy and I'll be mostly efficient, effective, and statistically successful in a comparative analysis of what 
the universe wants for me. I'll be angling, in other words, towards what I want, knowing that the universe itself will put me into a better place, a better situation, or make my situation better. I don't have to, as long as I institute the law of gravity, the law of Goya, and the law of attraction. Can you explain to us the difference between your own unique truth and then the the objective truth of a statistical analysis? What I've found in business with my business clients is that what someone feels is not necessarily um, the whole picture. Whereas if you look at the statistical bell curve of where you actually fall, it might be more objectively uh, easier to make decisions from that standpoint. So when you say statistical success, can you go into what that means and, and give us an example of like why it's so important to think from a statistical perspective? Sure. Um, so, you know, we utilize a man-made construct of math and uh, it falls within the realm of an aggregate or a collective consciousness, the same way that gravity does or the world being round. Um, and beyond that collective consciousness, if we realize that, you know, I can statistically, according to the man-made construct of math, uh, have 10 sales opportunities. And if I close two of them, and I used to only close one, I know that I'll be twice as statistically successful at my truth, my objective, my my uh, pursuit. See, but it doesn't mean that it, you know, that there wasn't 20 opportunities. I just didn't realize it. <laughs> See, right? So there's always the construct of something larger or beyond me for rule number six to apply that Within the context of statistics, there's only one statistic I know to be true. 99% of all statistics are made up. I'm joking. 100% of all short putts don't go in. Or my favorite statistic, 100% of the things you do now get done. And to be passionate, purposeful, and profitable, you got to get stuff done. Dave, you talked about the do it now folder. Speaking of do it now, what is your do it now folder? Is that literally something you just put your do it nows into that are top priorities? Can you go through that? Yeah. So for me, I know my what, I know my who, and I know my how. And then that allows me to know my now, meaning allows me to prioritize by importance each day, the activity I plan, the activity I don't have planned, and my sleep. It also allows me to adjust with an adaptable routine by re uh, in, uh, re um, assessing, reconciling with the plan that I had and the non-plan that I had uh, the importance of what you know may occur that I wasn't planning. If something arises, and this is why great leaders, intelligent followers, in other words, can make decisions so quickly is because they know their what, their who, and their how, so they can determine their now very quickly. If something falls within the realm that I can't do it now, either because it's just urgent or it does not fit within the value system which I created for that day, just for that day, then I go ahead and either put it into my calendar as a repository to do later that day or some future date, or if it doesn't even fall within the realm of being scheduled, then it goes into an Outlook folder to be delegated or reassessed. That's simple. And do you set aside time to reassess the delegation folder? Yes. So that's in my calendar as a scheduled activity. And uh, so I have, you know, a minimum of 10 minutes a day that I'm a student of my calendar, which includes beyond just studying what I have planned, what I don't have planned in my sleep, 
the do it now folder. Can I hammer one more? Yeah. Do you mind? One more, one more and I got to go to clubhouse. Okay. This is, this will be a little bit different. How, in your opinion, does negative self-worth affect the law of attraction for somebody? So the law of self-worth is quantum in your nature. It's subconscious in your nature and it's conscious in its nature. And so it creates separation. It is a trigger of the ego. It is the need to be inferior. <laughs> uh, and so how does it affect it same way as any other trigger, right? It creates interference between you and what you already are. It creates interference between you and what you want. It creates interference between you and the greatest source of light, love, and lessons and everything else. It creates interference. It slows you down. It creates resistance, voids, and shortages in your life. Dave, I know we got to go, but you mentioned that intelligent followers, you said something. You said leaders, a.k.a intelligent followers, super fast. I know you got to go. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So I believe that the number one characteristic of a leader is someone that is an intelligent follower, someone that's more interested than interesting, someone that's not speaking to people, but understanding what they're listening for. Someone that is a leader is not only a mentor, a coach, and a teacher, uh, but is an intelligent learner themselves. Fire. Oh, Thank you as always, Dave. We love you. All right, join me on Clubhouse, boys. We're going to be talking about freedom, 6 a.m. Pacific time. Everyone, thank you, thank you, thank you. Alan Lazar, uh, I had it before, man. Alan Lazar, uh, shit, say it. <laughs> Lazarus. La I said it before. Alan Lazarus and Kevin Palmieri. Good to see thank you guys. Thank Happy Fourth of July. I love you, you too. Next Level University, check those boys out. Remember, everyone, we got Clubhouse in two minutes. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. Join me today for Clubhouse and for training. I love you all. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Maddie.